number 63, all hail the power of Jesus' name. 
just before they did this one uh, in the spring. So we contacted them, and they gave us a proposal to fix the flat roof. They're not going to put rubber over it. They have this material that they spray down that is supposed to seal everything. Now, I was up on the roof when the guy was here, and um, uh, he showed me a couple places. He said, you look at all these seams. They're all getting brittle. Uh, there was a few places that were turning up. All these places where water can creep down in. Now, it's just not a leaking problem, but I think there also could be a structural problem because of all the water that is between the flat roof and the ceiling tiles. Having said all of that, we need this problem fixed. And the proposal they gave us to do the whole job is $13,480. Now, according to our policy, uh, we need you as members to vote to give us approval to move forward in fixing the flat roof. So the first Sunday in November, uh, we're going to ask you who are members uh, to vote your approval so that we can move forward and get this job done. We believe that it's very, very necessary that we do this. And the reason, I know some of you may ask, well, don't you get several proposals? We really love these guys. They're Amish, and um, I, I watch these guys fix this roof and do ours at home, and I don't know that anybody, now if some of you do roofs, I'm, I apologize, but I don't know of anybody better than these guys to fix roofs. I mean, I saw four brothers, they were like billy goats on this roof, going up and down and up and down, and in one day, they had done this complete roof. In one day, they did our complete house. Um, so we really have great confidence in these guys uh, to do what we need done. Um, so please keep that in mind. On the first Sunday in November, uh, we're going to ask you to vote and uh, approve um, our suggestion to move forward in putting on uh, that coating that should seal uh, everything. Keep Gene Weaver in prayer. Gene, you're still surgery on Wednesday. This Wednesday, the 26th, uh, she's going to be having hip surgery. Uh, please keep Jean in prayer. And also uh, the Bauer family. Uh, Dave Bauer and family want to thank all of you uh, for your cards and prayers. Uh, the funeral was yesterday for uh, Dave's uh, stepmother, Carol uh, Sheasley. Uh, so they want to thank all of you for that. I also received a note from Frank and Joan Kolish. And uh, this is what they say. Pastor Bob and fellow Christians, uh, my wife and I would like uh, to take this time to thank all of you for your prayers and support during my surgery. Uh, I know without a doubt that the outcome of my surgery would have been totally different if it was not for the prayers uh, that all of you prayed for my wife and I. Again, from the bottom, of my, the bottom of my heart, thank you all, and God bless you all, Frank and Joan Colish. As you know, Frank, a few, uh, well, it's probably months ago, had um, his uh, one kidney removed, uh, still has cancer, uh, but it doesn't require at this point uh, chemo. So we thank the Lord for that. But uh, Frank still needs our prayers, and uh, we would ask that you pray on his, on his behalf. <coughs> Father, we come before your throne this morning, and we are thankful. 
We are a very thankful people because you, Lord, have done great and mighty things. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has looked down upon mankind and you have seen a need. You have seen that we all have gone astray. We have turned to our own ways. But Father, you have laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Father, we are thankful for the forgiveness of sins this morning that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and him alone. We are thankful that you have, in your great love and mercy and grace, you have provided for us a great salvation in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No man comes before the Father except through me. So, Father, we come to you before you this morning through Jesus and through the one who laid down his life for us. My prayer, Lord, this morning is, is that if there is one who has never stepped from darkness to light, never put their trust and faith in you, that this might be the day that their lives are changed forever, that they become a new creation, and Father, they come into your family. Father, we think of Jean this week. We pray that you might grant her the peace that does pass all understanding. We ask that you, Father, would guide the hands of the surgeons to uh, replace or repair this hip. And, Father, that um, um, recovery would uh, go very well and very quickly. And Father, we're thankful that uh, you have uh, brought Frank through this very difficult surgery, much better than anyone expected. Uh, he attributes that to the prayers of the saints. And Father, we believe too that prayer does work. And so we're thankful, Lord, that you have uh, touched Frank in that special way. We think of the Bauer family this morning. Uh, we certainly lift them up to you, having lost a loved one. Lord, never an easy thing to do, go through. But again, Father, we ask that you, as the God of all comfort, that you might comfort them and you might um, show to them uh, your mercy and grace uh, during this time of need. Father, we know, too, as um, we have just mentioned, uh, sometimes, Lord, facilities, they wear out and they break down. And uh, we're thankful, Lord, that you have provided us with the finances right now uh, to be able to um, afford uh, to repair the flat roof. Uh, Father, we have set money aside over the years into a, a maintenance fund, and Father, we have money to be able to do what we need to do. And we don't have to go to the bank and borrow, but Lord, you, through your sacrificing people, uh, we, you have uh, seen fit for us to be able to uh, accumulate the monies to be able to do this without going into any kind of debt. And Father, we're a thankful people that uh, the finances right now are, are a real blessing to us. And we appreciate these folks, Lord, who have so often stepped up to the plate and have given uh, above and beyond, Father, what we could ask or think. So Lord, there's so much this morning to be thankful for. Uh, ultimately, Lord, we want to thank you for who you are and all the great and mighty things that you've done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. I believe at this time John and Amanda uh, are going to come and minister uh, to us. You're all I have, you're it. 
If you guys want to get up and greet one another, this year.
All right, would you stand with us? We continue to worship the Lord this morning, singing Jesus Messiah, name above all names. became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so Jesus Messiah, in name above all names, and blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from hell.
The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The savior of the world was fallen. But then the ground began to shake and the stone was rolled away and his perfect love could not be overcome. Let's sing that together. Hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, 
we sing hallelujah for the lamb is overcome and we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah for the lamb is overcome god we're so thankful that the lamb has overcome we're so thankful that the ground began to shake and the stone rolled away. God, we know it's nothing that we could do, but it's all because of what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. a little song that uh, we used to sing when we were growing up. Uh, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Remember that song? Where? Down in my heart. See? You still remember it. All those years. Well, in the book of Philippians, we've been looking at joy. Because the book of Philippians is all about joy. It appears as though the Philippians had a weakness, and that one weakness was that they lacked joy. And Paul is trying to develop in their lives more joy. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. And let me say it again, rejoice always. You know, one of the biggest reasons that we lack joy is in strained relationships, whether it's nation against nation, family member against family member, co-worker against co-worker, when people aren't getting along, there's very little joy. Conflict in relationships zaps that joy. How do we get along with each other? With all the different personalities and varieties and people. How do we find joy in our relationships? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to address the issue of selfishness being conceited. And Paul is going to say that what we need today is humility. Self-sacrificing humility. And love for others. Now that doesn't come naturally. It's not a natural thing for one to humble themselves. It doesn't come natural for us to love one another as the Bible defines that love. But what Paul does in Philippians 2, after he instructs us in what we should do and should be, he then says we then need to look at Jesus, the ultimate example of humility and self-sacrifice. So take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 
beginning at verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, if any have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort comes from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul is dealing in this section with relationships. And he says if we are going to find joy in our relationships with one another, then there are a few things we need to understand. First of all, he says stop being selfish and stop being conceited. Stop being selfish and stop being conceited. Stop being so self-centered. It's not all about you. We as adults sometimes, we're just like the kids. Have you ever watched children playing? They're on the playground, they're in the nursery room, wherever it might be, and there's a couple of toys on the floor. Oh, you take this one and I'll take this one. It's not that way. They all want the same one. It's mine. It's all about me. But then we grow up and things don't change. The attitude of so many of us is life is all about me. It's mine. It's mine. We are so self-absorbed, so self-seeking. We are so self-centered. And Paul says, if you want to find joy in relationships, you got to stop that. you got to stop being so selfish. And the second thing he says is stop being so conceited. Which means you're excessively proud of yourself. We say he's too big for his britches. Right? He's too big for his britches. Back in the book of Isaiah... There was an angel, his name was Lucifer. 
And Lucifer felt as though he was too big for his britches. Now, God created him a beautiful angel. He was a wonderful angel at one time. But he got too big for his britches. And it says in Isaiah chapter 14, and I want you to listen. You said in your heart that I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Saphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High God. Here is Lucifer. Lucifer, And the reason he fell, or I should say the reason God booted him out of heaven, was he felt as though he could become like God. I want to be like God. We know pride goes before destruction, according to Solomon's words in the book of Proverbs. When I have an ego, I have this huge ego, and I refuse to admit that I have made a mistake or that I have done something wrong. You know, that's a problem in relationships. That's a problem in relationships. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about the idea that today nobody ever is at fault. Everybody's blaming someone else for the problems of the world. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. No one will ever admit when they're wrong. That's a problem in relationships. And we're so conceited that we can't humble ourselves to the place where we say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Someone said if you could eliminate conceit, you would solve most of the people problems in the world today. That's probably true. Well, this is the negative in Paul's text. Don't do these things. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. But rather, here's the positive side in verse 3, in humility, value others above yourselves. Consider others better than you are. Now, humility is really just the opposite of selfishness. It's self-forgetfulness. You forget yourself. Love sees others of, as worthy of preferential treatment. This is not easy. Love looks at others as better than themselves. This is not the only place we find this idea. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we read, Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, this world is full of people who think they're better than everybody else. People today think they're just better than everybody else. And when I fail to value other people and I begin to treat them with less respect than what they deserve, that's a problem in relationships. That's a problem in relationships and leads to conflict and leads to quarreling and leads to all kinds of trouble. 
No one likes to be number two. When was the last time you saw a football team run on the field? We're number two. No one wants to be number two. But the Bible says in your relationships with one another, you are number two. Because you ought to be looking at others as number one. And valuing them even above yourselves. Now that's something that brings a relationship together. When you value them above you, and they value you above themselves. That makes a strong relationship. The Bible says that we are to value others. The Bible says we are to consider them even better than ourselves. But Paul doesn't stop there. In order to increase humility, we have to pay attention to the needs of others. We should be paying attention to the needs of others. Now Paul's not saying don't be interested in your own needs. He's just saying you better be looking outside of yourself. And you better be looking at their needs if you're going to have a strong relationship. Be interested in the lives of others. Be interested in the lives of others. There's a little word in verse 4, and I want you to take a look at it. If you underline, it's probably a word you ought to be underlining. It says, not looking. You see the word look? The, work is, the, the, the word look is the Greek word skapos, and I only mention that because we get our word scope from it. Right? Some of you men who have rifles, you have on your rifle a scope. Maybe in your homes you have a microscope or a, a telescope. Something that helps you to see a little better. Something that helps you to see a little better. We're to be looking out and not always be looking in. We are to be looking outside of ourselves and looking at the needs of others and paying attention to what is going on in the lives of others. We're to be watching out for one another, taking care of one another. And when that happens, you find joy. I don't know how to explain that, but you know, when I look at people, and I see people who are really concerned with the needs of others, they are the ones who are filled with joy. The grumpiest people in the world are those who only look inward. Isn't that true? You show me a person who always is talking about themselves, always interested in their own needs, not concerned about anybody else, and I'll show you a grumpy person. You show me a person who is genuinely interested in the needs of other people, and they're always looking outside, I'll show you someone who is joy the way it works that's the way it, that's why paul is giving us this instruction paul is looking at the philippians and says you need more joy you need more joy and if you want to find joy in relationships you got to stop a few things and you got to start doing a few other things you got to stop being selfish you got to stop being conceited and you have to start increasing your humility by looking at the value of others even above yourselves and start looking at others 
and taking care of their needs. And then Paul says, now, if you didn't understand all that, let me show you this in a person. And what he does is he shows us the person of Jesus Christ. And we come to verse 5, and Paul says you need to develop a Christ-like character. And more specifically, you've got to start thinking like Jesus. You have to have his mindset. You must have the very attitude of Jesus himself. If you're going to develop strong relationships and be filled with joy. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. If you want to get along with other people, look at Jesus. Who had a self-sacrificing humility and a love for others. There's a uh, verse uh, back in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And let me read it to you. It says this. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How in the world did Jesus find joy as he was approaching the cross? How do you find joy in that pain in that suffering and yet is that not what we read for the joy that was set before him he enjoyed the cross he found joy because as he approached the cross he saw you you say wait a minute i, I wasn't even around two thousand years ago when uh, jesus was on his way to the cross how in the world could jesus find joy in me well, Jesus, he knew you, and he said to himself, you know, there's a person who really needs the forgiveness of sins, and I value, I value that person, and I'm going to consider that person even better than myself and try to meet his needs on the cross. And Jesus said, as I go to the cross, it's on this cross that I can provide eternal redemption for you. And he found joy in that as he humbled himself and sacrificed himself and considered your needs even above his own. He considered you valuable as in his mind as he saw you as he was going to the cross and said, I am going to die on this cross because of you and because of you and because of you. And Jesus was able to find joy in that in knowing that he on that cross could provide the forgiveness of sins. He could provide eternal redemption to mankind. That's where his joy was. Listen, if Jesus only thought about himself, he would have never gone to the cross. But he put others above himself. He humbled himself. He put your needs even above his own. And he went to the cross, and the Bible said he died. And he died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins, and he died for my sins. The Bible says that the iniquity, of Jesus, uh, the iniquity of all of mankind was placed on Jesus that day. And he died for our sins. That's why he died. 
Not for his own sins. He didn't need forgiveness. He was a sinless man. But he died for your sins. Because he saw you. And he knew you needed the forgiveness of sins. And now the Bible says we need to believe and trust in Christ and receive that wonderful gift and be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus said, I am the only way and the truth and the life to come to the Father. To come into God's family, we must do it God's way. And God provided Jesus, and he provided a sacrifice on the cross. And to believe that Jesus died for you, and to trust him, is to be given eternal, eternal life. Well, Jesus is our example of joy. The attitude in providing needs for other people. The attitude that valued others even above himself. And so although this text, starting at verse 6 down through verse 11, is actually and primarily an illustration of what Paul just said. It's an illustration of what Paul just said. That's the primary reason Paul included it. And yet, it's one of the most significant theological passages in all the Word of God. Because it describes who Jesus is. You know, when we read this text, we get inside the very mind of Jesus. Because we're supposed to have his mind in our relationships. We're supposed to have his attitude. Well, I can't read his mind, but Paul is going to reveal to us the mindset of Jesus himself. So look at verse 6. First of all, it says, Who, being in very nature God. Paul is not saying Jesus is a lot like God. What Paul is saying is Jesus is very God. The Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God. There was a distinction between Jesus and His Father, but the Word was God. And then later down in John chapter 1, or verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was God. Jesus Christ was God in flesh. The God-man. That's the Christmas story. That's the incarnation. Uh, that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. Here it says quite clearly that Jesus had the very nature of God himself. Then we have the word equality in verse 6, which means to be on par with or to be the same as, but it's used in this way. Jesus, in his thinking, felt as though it was not something to be grasped, this equality. There was something that Jesus, when he became man, was willing to give up. Now, the question often is raised, what was that? What did Jesus give up when God became man and dwelt among us? Well, we know that he was fully God here on earth. It says that. He was in the very nature God. He certainly did not give up deity because he was God. We know that he didn't give up, up his attributes because we know many times through the Gospels uh, we saw his omnipotence, his omniscience. We saw that. So, he didn't give up, although he might have 
restricted his use of the attributes. He may have limited himself in some ways. So what did Jesus give up? Well, what I believe he gave up was his glory. That outward glory. That high, exalted position that he had with God. Because he comes into this world clothed differently. He's no longer, if you were to see Jesus walk the streets, you would not say to yourself, oh, there's God. He would look like a man. Because we go on to read that he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. In contemporary terms, he, he made himself a nobody. Um, someone used the illustration of a general in the army. And this general in the army, you know, when he was there in the barracks and the soldiers were around him, um, they saw him in uniform. And they would stand at attention and they would salute. But this general decides to take off his uniform and go onto the street and dress like a man of the street. And he would walk down the street. No one recognized him as a general. He was not in uniform. Was he still a general? Of course. Was he in uniform? No. Well, think of Jesus. He took off his glory when he came to earth, and he dresses himself up as a man, and he walks down the street. Does he look like God? No. Was he God? Of course. But he looks like an ordinary citizen of the country. He made himself nothing. He chose, Jesus chose to do that. He came into this world wearing the uniform of common man while still bearing within him the high rank of Almighty God. And then we read he uh, has the very nature of a servant. There in verse 7. So not only is he 100% God, but the Bible says he's 100% man. He's the God-man. And then we come to what uh, Paul has been dealing with in verse 8. It says, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. It was his unselfishness that brought him all the way from heaven to earth and to the cross. That's the attitude of Jesus. That's his mindset to go from heaven to earth and to the cross. And the Bible says elsewhere in 1 Peter chapter 5, to those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt. And that's what we have in these closing verses, in verses 9 through 11. Because the eternal Son became the earthly servant, God will make him the exalted Savior. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Did you know that someday every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord? 
every atheist, every agnostic, every God-hater someday will bow the knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now let's go back to the primary reason for this section. It's to get inside the mind of Jesus. It's to get inside the mind of Christ. And what we see in this text is a self-sacrificing humility. And the Bible says we are to be imitators of Christ. That we are to conform to that image. And if we're going to have relationships that are strong, then we have got to imitate Jesus' attitude. We must have that attitude, that mindset, to value others above ourselves, to look at others and, and, and see their needs, to stop being so selfish, stop being so conceited, stop being so proud of ourselves and calling ourselves number one. We have to start looking at other people that way. That you are number one. And I am always going to be number two. Now, if that is reversed and you look at me the same way, can you see how that relationship has to succeed? I mean, if everybody yields to everybody else, it's all about you. And you say, it's all about me. If we're humble before each other and we value each other and we look at each other's needs... That relationship has to be successful. And in that relationship that is so successful, there is joy. There's no fighting. There's no bickering. There's no quarreling. But it all comes down to a mindset. It all comes down to a mindset. And Paul says, we need to have the mindset of Jesus. We read in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. That should be our attitude. That was the attitude of Jesus. And when we have that attitude and that mindset, there is joy. Joy, joy, joy. Where? Down in our hearts. Father, we thank you for this morning. It has been a great day to be with you and to be with one another. We are so thankful for Jesus and, Father, all that he has done on behalf of us. What an amazing person, Father, to give his life, to lay it down. He did it literally. On our behalf, so that I might be saved. Father, help us to have that same mindset. Oh, we'll probably never have to be, or never be called upon to literally lay, lay down our lives for one another, but Lord, it doesn't have to be literal. We just need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to one another. Lord, that's how relationships are formed, and that's how relationships move forward. So give us the mind of Christ, we pray. This is not an easy thing. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
May the mind of Christ my Savior dwell in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Let's stand together. Hymn number 349. <clears throat> spirit. Uh, Lord, this mindset is not something that happens in a moment. It doesn't happen overnight. But Father, change us. Change our way of thinking. Change our attitudes to conform to the image of the, that of Jesus Christ himself. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here, to be in your word. What a great place to be on a Sunday morning. I pray that you would bless this congregation Give safety to each one as they travel to their respective homes. And Lord, we certainly say it's been good. It has been good to be in the house of the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.